0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. Great to have you with us today. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour, always a general discussion of production and IT-related topics where we answer audience-submitted questions, so your questions truly drive the show. Uh, As you learn more about Office Hours, you can figure out how to get your questions in to get them answered. Second hour after the finished of the first hour is typically a deeper dive into a topic, and today we're looking really forward to this. Our second hour is going to be focused on the one-button studio. Our longtime Office Hours colleague, Guy Cochran, here in the panel at the DV store has been pursuing this for many years, a commercial installation for people who need to do streaming in an environment where they want to reduce the complexity of the launch down to a single switch. Jason Jenkins will be joining Guy today to talk us through the hardware and software they developed to make this complex process super easy. So it should be an extremely interesting second hour. Uh, And that takes us to our first hour, however. Mitch, it is time. What have we got today?
1: Thanks, Bill. Good morning. And our first question's in from David Barton in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, David asks, good morning, panel. Does anyone have experience licensing music for the use over Zoom? I found options for in-person use, but Zoom seems to be harder to cover.
0: We're going to start with Chris Fenwick this morning. Good morning, Chris.
1: Um, I was not
2: aware that Zoom was some special space that was different than, uh, you know, anything else broadcast or corporate or, you know, playing in a ballroom at an event. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I will always take the opportunity to talk about licensed music to kind of plug. Um, I'm a huge fan of premium uh, mainly for some of their back end features. I also like the music. Um, but I'm very curious to hear what everybody else says. Uh, boy, that sounded really cheesy. I apologize for that. But I do <laughs> like premium beat. Um, I'm interested to hear what everybody else says about licensing via Zoom.
0: Okay, well, David
3: Baskin's going to have his opinion there, David. Yeah, I don't think there's an issue with Zoom, especially because Zoom is is it's internal, as it were. Now, if you're streaming from Zoom to another platform, then of course you have to follow those. Uh, regulations, there is an epidemic sound, they have uh, three different plans. And the 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 one, the personal plan allows you to go to YouTube or Facebook or things like that. The commercial plan does mention that the music is covered for social media online platforms. Maybe that's where Zoom falls and websites. So it may, you may want to look out at uh, epidemic sound, but if you're just sending music into a closed Zoom meeting, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Mitchell Hill.
1: For now, uh, Zoom expects you to self-police, and uh, their basic policy on TOS is, and I'll read part of it, uh, you may not post, modify, distribute, or reproduce in any way copyrighted material, trademarks, rights of publicity, or other proprietary rights without obtaining the prior written consent of the owner of such proprietary rights. So basically what they're saying is that you need to be able to make sure that it's uh, acceptable, because somebody may come back on you. They don't have bots and things like that uh, the way YouTube does that are constantly monitoring uh, private conversations. And um, there's no way to do that in in sense on Zoom because somebody may have Spotify running in the background or uh, some kind of music from a radio um, that kind of kinda leak in. And in, in a Zoom call, that's more likely to happen. As far as music goes, specific music, if it's uh, library music, it's pretty easy, like uh, the aforementioned Premier Beats or other companies uh, allow you to uh, purchase the, uh, the rights for uh, streaming social media. Um, on the other hand, if you're using an actual song that's a hit song, there are two licenses that you need to pursue, and they're complicated to get them. One is for the publishing rights to the song, the people that wrote the words and the music, and the other part is the mechanical or the actual recording itself is usually owned by the record companies. Without both of those, you're not technically um, legal as far as playing that music over any media of any kind.
0: And to make it even more complex, as if it isn't complex enough already, there's a third style of rights called synchronization rights. If you are going to take a existing song and put it against visual content, uh, copyright still is one of these weird things. There's a lot of good laws about it. If you want to learn more about the technically accurate way that it works. Um, Stanford University has a site about fair use, which is one of the most complex parts of this, because it is the use of copyrighted material in small things for criticism and other things. People get that wrong all the time, and they think that what they're doing is fair use, and it's actually not. It's commercial use. Uh, If you want more information, there is one company that I've worked with in the past, and I haven't for many years, but it was called BZ Rights and Permissions in New York City. And they are experts, and there are other experts around in following the path as to who owns which rights to a piece of popular music. When you see something like Nike using the Beatles or something like that, one of those organizations who truly understands the entire rights chain, uh, those are the professionals they tend to go to to research who owns what and what you need for your use. It gets be pretty complex in there. Chris Fenwick?
2: One last thing, very quick story. It may be... Um It may be an old wives' tale, I believe it to be true, a story I heard about a corporation that decided they didn't need to worry about all that licensing nonsense and they used a piece of popular music in, in one of their corporate videos that was playing in a ballroom at a hotel. When a gentleman approached the front desk of the hotel, was checking into the hotel, also happened to be a lawyer for the licensing company Heard music for one of his clients, walked down the hallway, and that company ended up paying large, large sums of money because they had illegally used the music. It's it, You need to take this stuff serious.
0: Yeah, there is a huge industry built around that. I don't know if you've ever walked into a restaurant and you hear pop music playing in the background. There is a whole chain that just goes into restaurants that allows them to do that. And they have to have often ASCAP and BMI licenses in order to play the libraries of the artists that are have contractual obligations with those things. That's why it gets so complex. Mitchell, you have other thoughts?
1: Yeah, the Restaurant Association has their own negotiated rates uh, with the, uh, the record owners and the publishers. Uh, but generally, you're right. They have to have a publishing from BMI, ASCAP, CSAC. And then there's a few others uh, that are small. And uh, the other thing with fair use, got to be careful with that because people tend to interpret fair use in a way that's have uh, that supports their particular use of it. So I'd be very, very careful about using the words fair
0: use because that gets the lawyers bristles up. Yeah, it does. It's it's one of the most misunderstood things that we run into. And, you know, this is all under the headline of risk management. Whether you're a small business or you're working for someone who has significant resources, if you don't get this right, your risk goes up that it's not just a strike on YouTube or something like that. You can literally find yourself in court uh, trying to defend the fact that you didn't have the right rights and you use this. and. It can be a sticky wicket, so pay attention no, to this. Don't mess with the music police, folks. Yeah, That's <laughs> advice we can give. It's a long time industry, and they have a lot of people. And they make their money by tracking down people who are not doing this the correct way. So, for, forewarned is forearmed. Let's go to the next question.
1: Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York, uh, asking: uh, Morning, guys, looking for a discreet buy once, cry once option with an extensive pickup pattern lav mic for interviews and talking spots. What would you all recommend?
0: Let's start with Guy Cochran this morning, Guy.
4: Yeah, for interviews, I'd say one of the most popular is the because 11-D. It seems to be out in most people's kits. Uh, Mitchell's holding one up. Uh, the question I would have is, uh, why would you go with that versus a hypercardioid or a shotgun? So it depends on the environment because, uh, the capsules are so small that, one, they, they can have self-noise. So the better the mic, if you have like a $50 mic, it, when you hook it into a system, you might hear some hiss. So some of the higher-end ones, like a DPA 4060, a Countryman B6, uh, they don't have as much self-noise. And they're also things like waterproof or sweatproof so that you could completely submerge these microphones. Also, the mounting. Uh, Popular microphones like the Sancos eleven d will have a variety of like it comes with an r m eleven in the in the kit, uh, which is a little rubber mount that you can use to tape underneath somebody 's shirt so if you want to bury the thing, you want to be aware of the frequency responses and so there 's different microphones like dPA will have. Uh, a couple different lines where if you're going to bury it, it has the ability to have a little bit higher ed boost. So it depends on how you're going to use that lavalier, but also are you going to? Um, what's your chain? Are you going to put it into a wireless transmitter? Because that, then you start to talk uh, preamps and what is your chain going to that microphone? Because that's going to be the other thing about great sound is, uh, are you boosting it with something that? is going to be clean because I was amazed when the S- S- Sennheiser G3 first came out how much better that it sounded uh, compared to just plugging a, a lavalier directly into a, a cheap camera. The, the preamp gain stage was so clean, uh, it sounded, it took away the hiss. So if you plug that same ME2 stock mic that comes with a G3, G4 into a, a basic camcorder, you'll hear what I'm talking about. It's just, it's hissy and noisy. So it depends on the chain. So I would be looking at wireless that is... Uh, decent uh center g4 is like base level uh some of the uh the road go is a little iffy i'd i'd probably be leaning more towards something higher end even a used electro kit if you can so those are some some things to think about
0: mitch hill
1: now basically i was a hand model there for guys dis- uh, discussion of it uh, he did a great job of covering it um you used the term in your question mike about extensive pickup pattern I can only interpret that to mean an omni pattern, and that is the correct uh, mic to pick because the problem with the super cardioid, unless you're in a very noisy environment, is that as soon as they turn their head to the left, they're going to get a little drop-off. In fact, a lot of drop-off, uh, and omni is going to pick up pretty much everything around the head. So they can be uh, talking to somebody over here and over here and have it all on mic. John
0: Preto.
5: Uh, mike if you like to cry you can you can uh, buy the sure Accent system or you can fly to Las Vegas and borrow mine
0: there you go all sorts of uh, responses for you mike hope that worked oh guy has a last word okay
4: yeah and that pickup pattern, uh, there are some cardioid uh, lavaliers. You want to be careful with those. They're not really too well-received for interviews because, yeah, as Mitch was saying, they can turn. So depending on how you mount them, if they turn, the, the subject will fall right out of that pickup pattern. And as for the head turns, some people will mount lavaliers. I've seen them mount them way too high. And so when you look at the distance from the mouth, uh, when they turn their head, it's it's rather dramatic. If you mount it a little bit lower, more around the sternum or even, yeah, Mid sternum would be the appropriate spot. So then, as they turn their head, the distance is still about the same. It's not dramatically different because there's this thing called the inverse square rule, which we don't have to go into. But it, basically, you're, you're doubling the uh, output when you uh, have that same distance, and then if you double the output, you double the distance, you're losing half your output. So you got to be careful about those head turns
0: actually the square part of it is if you double the distance you're losing four times and four if time. you triple the distance you're losing nine times so it's it's a big deal and why it even works in these short distances and guys exactly right it is his explanation of this i think we took care of that next question from Douglas
1: Carmichael asking the Logitech Blue Sona has a super cardioid pattern along with a dual diaphragm capsule internal humbucking coil an internal shock mount to cancel out vibration. Would there be other mics with such anti-noise vibration features?
0: Jeffrey Powers will start us off. Jeff,
6: when it comes to the uh, when it comes to the noise canceling option, I don't believe there is anything out there. Um, but there is a lot of shock mount. For example. Well, first of all, you have a dynamic microphone and that's what this is, is a dynamic microphone. And the off-access rejection on that is just crazy on any dynamic microphone. Think of taking a balloon, putting it on top of here, that's the area that you're gonna talk at. And if you try to talk in any other direction, it's just gonna cancel it out. Now, this is an SM58. Uh, One thing that uh, if you ever wondered, you have the SM58 and you have the Beta58. This, uh, for more off-access rejection, you wanna do the Beta58, because if you notice, it's got. a little shock absorber. In fact, if I took my finger and did that, it moves it around. Whereas the regular S758, it's just pretty solid. Uh, it's That's where you're going, what you're going to get in that. I don't see a reason to have the blue sonar up um, with the, unless you're like in a really noisy environment for that noise uh, suppression, like maybe a conference or something like that, or if you have a really noisy room, you're in the subway or something, uh, maybe then this will this will really work. But uh, it's, it's just an extra feature that just seems to be a little bit too much. Mitchell.
7: Yeah, it
1: claims to have an internal DSP, which talks to a app that you have to run on the computer with it uh, for, <clears throat> for noise reduction. Pardon me. And um, I, the only problem with anything that requires uh, a pairing of a piece of software with the actual microphone is that you're stuck with that system. Whereas uh, if I were to compare this to the microphone that uh, Jeffrey had in front of them, the uh, the ubiquitous uh, Shure SV7, um, first of all, it has internal uh, vibration dampening and it has XLR and USB outputs, which means that you could run an external Uh, sound noise uh, 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 canceling processing or whatever, either in a preamp or in some other thing, maybe not so much in the USB. Uh, The only bad thing about that uh, SV7 uh, or MV7, excuse me, that uh, Jeffrey has there is that for some reason they didn't put uh, any kind of uh, uh, vibration assistance in the actual mount to it. It's a hard mount to that boom. So all the vibration assistance has to come inside the microphone.
0: Nice. All right, we've taken care of the this question. Time to move on to the next one.
1: Andy Korkendorfer is here from Vieira, Florida. We have execs that have been set up with proper mics on LP arms. Uh, I guess that's low profile, but they have often join with Bluetooth or other mics, not realizing that Zoom has automatically chosen the wrong mic. Is the way to c- remotely control which mic is connected? Is there a way to remotely control which mic is connected for a speaker?
0: My suspicion is
4: not yet. There may be one coming in the future. Oh, Guy, do you have any direct knowledge? I'm pretty sure you could do that with Zoom OSC as the client that you can switch microphones. But uh, yeah. with the regular standalone Zoom client, you cannot. You can see what they're using. If you have a, a Zoom business account, you can, in the back end, you can see what their device is called for their uh, webcam and for their audio device. So you can see what they're using Um if uh, you have that option in your back end. But as far as being able to swap the mic, you would have to tell them, uh, can you pop on click that little triangle down in the bottom left where it says uh, mute and uh, switch microphones?
0: I'm just going on it. the fact that I've heard over and over again, which mic are you on <laughs> and having somebody direct somebody to switch it. David, do you have some thoughts?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm on, on guys suggestion. I'm, I'm peeking into Zoom OSC and there is a set mic action. Um, which you can pull in. uh, Let's see what that actually has underneath it. Um, So you need an ID. I'm not sure what you would put in there, uh, but it does seem like you can set someone's mic through Zoom OSC.
0: So it looks like there is a path to get what you want, Andy. We'll keep our fingers crossed. And if you get it solved, come back and share with everybody what you managed to do to make it work the way you want it to. Let's go on to the next question.
1: From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, uh, how did your last conversation with ChatGPT go? Did it scare you, make you laugh, or edify you?
0: (laughs) Jeffrey Powers will start us off here.
6: Um, I've I've just been having a lot of fun with it. Uh, It really helped me out when I was doing uh, CES stuff because I could create articles and not not word for word. I would create basically wireframe articles of, uh, of the products and, and be able to pull them in and then kind of spin them myself uh, with my own words. Uh, so it was a nice little framework. And, and for somebody who, who does all this all by themselves, they, it's, it's really nice to actually have that little bit of help. I've also done a couple uh, songs on uh, ChatGPT. Once again, really fun, but uh, you need to do a little bit of editing.
4: Guy Cochran. Yeah, this morning before the show started, we were asking it a few questions. We asked it what was Office Hours Global. And uh, unfortunately, because the data is from uh, before 2021, there wasn't anything. It brought up something about Y Combinator, which must have been a different group. So uh, Jonas had uh, access to the new Bing version, which I looked into it. You got to set Bing as your default browser. Uh, So I'll I'll wind up getting it later on. But basically his his rip, reply from Bing was much more accurate because it can reach out to to today's data. And so it was fascinating to see the difference in in being, in, you know, Microsoft did make an investment in OpenAI of, I believe, 49% of the company or something along those lines. 49 billion, uh, John's giving me a thumbs up. So yeah, it, it's an interesting technology. Yesterday, we were using it in a meeting and uh, I asked it a question and everybody was like blown away about how fast that it it gave the reply and that how accurate it was. I asked it for a top 10 and it gave a great top 10. I mean, it, it could almost be a blog, blog post on its own. So I might do that in the uh the second hour I'll, I might open it up because uh I asked it what are the top 10 video production mistakes and uh it was it was it was pretty good to see what it, what it, what it said. Nice, John Preto.
5: Just wondering why Paul asked this question. He knows the answer to this question already. So <laughs> so it, uh, AI is going to disappear into all the applications and uh, Microsoft did invest $11 billion in OpenAI for for 49%. It was a loan; they're paying that money back, and they end up with 49% equity in the company. But it's going to disappear into all our applications. So it's soon you'll you'll have it built into Word, Excel. They already announced uh, Teams integration, um, and I can't wait for Photoshop and Illustrator. If I can bring a multi-layered uh, image into Photoshop. It's going to be spectacular. And Adobe's being really quiet right now. It's really interesting.
7: Mitch Hill. I was freaked
1: out as a neo-Luddite. Uh, that uh, First of all, ChatGPT had no idea who I was. We did a search on my name. I didn't, but I did. And then uh, we went to Bing at Jonas's suggestion, and it knows all about me. So I can no longer hide from the overlord above us.
0: Yeah, I've never had any success with that because the prime minister of Canada at one point was named Bill Davis, so I can't get a search result from anything. Chris Fenwick, finish it up.
2: Um, do you find it interesting that when you do the chat, uh, what is it, GPT, I almost call it something else, uh, that it types it out? Why do you think it types it out? It types out the answer. Is it trying to make me think that there's a really smart person on the other side typing it out to me really quick?
0: That, it's messing that, with that's
2: you, a, Chris. That, that is a chosen user interface. Why do yeah. you think they do that? I find it suspicious.
0: Yeah, it's space. like a teletype thing. They only back. do that
5: to you, Chris. Nobody else gets it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, paranoia aside, let's move on to the next question. Yes.
1: Uh, anyhow, I'm just feeling a little weird. Uh, Bo Cordell from Charleston, South Carolina, asking, looking for a wireless lav microphone pack that allows for a return IFB channel. Is there an inexpensive all-in-one, or do I just need two pairs of a road-go
0: type system? Uh, Bo, it depends on your budget. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Zaxcom, which is one of the early digital players, had a bi-directional system because it was one of the first all-digital, and they really built it out. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that, but that's something I would try. Zaxcom starts with an X. Uh, So uh, do a search on that. They do high-end wireless and I think they had something with a talk back circuit in it at some point. Uh let me come back sometime and let me know if I'm remembering correctly. Next question. Uh just so you know, it's it's Z A X. Oh, is it? I'm out. sorry. Yes. Right. No problem. Chris Weider from Lafayette,
1: Indiana. I've seen some really nice pop-up shelves and pelican cases, but have been unable to find a good source for them. Any recommendations?
0: Pop-up shelves. That's interesting. Um Uh, No, the rock and rollers have a lot of shelf options, but
6: I don't think I've ever seen them, even for the larger Pelican cases. Jeffrey Powers, have you experienced with that? I haven't seen anything, but uh, I I do a lot of building on my own shelving in Pelican cases. I find that it's a lot easier than trying to find something that I have uh, that will fit the need that I I need for the Pelican case. And then, uh, of course, I have these. Which are really nice uh, to hold different things. They become uh, they become uh, carrying areas and shelves in themselves.
0: Yeah, that's why I spend time in fishing, uh, like sporting goods stores, looking for the right poly cases for the little connectors and things like that. David Paskin?
3: Uh, yeah, I'm looking. I can't find it right now, but there's been, I've seen it circling around on social media recently. An all-in-one Given today's topic, an all-in-one Pelican case that has a the camera is in there, and you just open the case, and then a shelf comes out, and there are two little metal arms that swing up and lock the shelf in place. I I think it's a custom build that someone made, and they're selling it. um, But uh, and it's a it's a nice little if you're on the move, it's
6: a nice little
3: uh, case to carry.
6: Interesting, Jeffrey Powers. Are you talking about Junaid's? Co- other company that is working for where you basically open up the Pelican case and you put the camera right on. There's like a second camera so you can do all your presentations from remote. I don't remember the name of the company, though.
0: No, I think I saw something a little different, but probably the same idea. I, yeah. I remember it used to be a company called Kata. I don't know if they're still around. They're out of Israel. Um, and they made Kata bags. And they had a really good, solid internal system. And in some of their tall bags... And I used to have one that I carried on location, Uh, the bright yellow inserts that were the typical Velcro inserts to allow you to uh, wall off things. I used to be able to keep that bag horizontal, you know, tall, and then use those as ways to pull out things like headphones and things like that. It's kind of ish, a shelf system, not really a formal one. So it sounds like you're looking for something more sophisticated than that, but... um, Good luck. Let us know, Chris, if you found something. Bring it back and share it with everyone. Next question.
1: From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Paul says, is there a a network attack storage that lets you slide hard drives in and out without mounting them on a tray, pardon me, and has at least five bays, Ethernet, USB-C,
7: USB-A, et cetera? Tom Ferguson is going to start us off. Tom? Well, there is. Uh, Drobo makes a 5N2. But that's been out in the wild now for, oh, gosh, over five years. And uh, the drives don't actually pop out very good because it just has a spring behind them. Now, you take something with a tray like Synology uses, uh, the drives snap in. You don't need tools, and it gives you a little leverage on that drive, and they actually mount much firmer. So I prefer that. Sounds like good advice. Jeffrey Powers.
6: Yeah, uh, QNAP. Synology, they all have a hot swappable bays that, you know, as Tom said, they, they pop out. Other than that, uh, I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of building my own NASs. I just built one uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, you can always get a hot – if the motherboard allows for hot swappable, you can always uh, – and I know you can go up to Amazon, you can find these things. They're basically trays, a tray system that you can put into a case and then have the, the hot swappability as any other NAS.
0: Nice. Uh, Oh, Mitch Hill has some thoughts about it, Just a
1: a quickie uh, vote for mounted in a carrier because, for example, this is a DX-115, which we'll see in um, some devices like HP, things like that. And you need the little fan that's in there that uh, services it because these drives will get hot, especially in a closure, um, and it uh, locks in and does a great job. The only problem is that the fans sometimes
0: fail, and, and they're noisy, whiny things. Hmm. Noisy and whiny are generally not good words when we're trying to do production. Uh, Let's move to the next question, though.
1: From Chris Fenwick in Emeryville, California, and here in our panel, what do you suspect is the reason why various people in our community have such different experiences with Elgato lights? Please discuss.
3: David Paskin. Well, I like to live on the edge, and so I use Elgato lights, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Uh, if I had to guess why it would be because they're overpriced. Um, well, I'll stop there. Um, no, look, they're very nice lights. Um, I, from the the problem that I run into all the time is, is the connectivity, right? When, when they decide to connect to my computer, when they don't, when the stream deck, almost every day, the button on the stream deck doesn't see the app on my running on my computer. And I have to shut, quit the app and start it again. It, It is absolutely flaky. But the lights themselves, when they work, I like. There you
2: go. Chris
0: Fenwick. Oh, sorry.
2: Oh, yeah. What I was going to say is my experience, uh, much like what David is saying. And uh, two people actually not with us here today. uh, uh, Nigel loves them. No problems. Uh, Jack, our security officer from the rocket shoot, uh, has them, hates them. Um, I, my experience is I bought it for probably a year no problems at all for about six months. I couldn't get it to acquire through the software at all. Turned out it was me, uh, then read the instructions, got it to acquire, worked fine for another three or four months. Um, and in the last five days, I have had to reacquire through the software using the instructions, uh, probably a dozen or 15 times. And mayhaps, it just keeps, it keeps
0: dropping. Mayhaps your process of reading the instructions last <laughs> might have some effect on this. Just suggesting. I don't know. Let's move on to the next question.
1: And moving on to Douglas Carmichael asking, I've fallen in love with Waves NX to make long sessions on headphones a lot less fatiguing. Would dear VR Mix or Slate VSX be a useful non-Waves alternative for headphone monitoring? Mitchell. I'm a little suspicious of anything that's placed between your ability to hear the raw audio and, uh, uh, and the, uh, uh, the source of it. Um, I guess um, it's interesting. Obviously, Waves knows what they're doing. But what happens when you have to go somewhere else and plug into another system with the same headphones? You're not necessarily going to have those Waves nearby. So I'm thinking that it's, uh, unless it's part of the headphone system itself, it's probably not very practical.
0: Yeah, I kind of, I, I, the headphones are an individual thing. People have different sound profiles that they like. Uh, and we've talked a thousand times about the fact that one of the most popular headphones out there, the uh, the Sony um 7506s, Then they're used everywhere in production. They are not particularly good music headphones. They do have a pronounced presence peak in kind of the upper mid-range and pretty enhanced bass. And those two things are really good if you're trying to say, is there rumbling or is there some wind noise in a signal? And are people being articulate in the signal I'm recording? Are they getting their S's and T's said correctly? That little presence peak helps you identify those things. Both of those features, which are really good for monitoring the human voice, are not particularly good for monitoring music. So I would not use them as my music listening headphones, but those specific things have made them incredibly popular for monitoring sound in the field, for example. So This is truly a personal thing. I think you just got to try different headphones until you find something and you go, that's the sweet spot for me. That's exactly what my ears want to hear. And I can get all the information out of this signal that I'm looking for. Let's move on to the next question.
1: Matt DeVries in Washington, D.C. asking, do you think that power line
0: adapters are better than Wi-Fi for Zoom? Oh, this is a tough call. Uh, power line adapters, better than Wi-Fi. Mitch, you want to you want to try to decode this? Yeah, I'll take a I'll take a swing at it. Uh, any type of
1: wireless uh, technology and uh, power line is basically wireless in a sense that uh, you're depending upon in, um, imprinting a, a signal on the power line uh, in order to receive it. I know it sounds like gobbledygook, it probably is, uh, but um, I just generally don't think anything is as good as a hard Ethernet connection. Um, we've just seen problems with everything else.
0: Oh, I, I now I understand. So it's the system that encodes an actual signal into the AC carrier somehow. And uh, okay. Jeffrey Powers.
6: Yeah. So basically, what this is is you have two units uh, for a power line system. You have one unit that plugs into the room that you're in, and you have another unit that plugs where your router is, and then you use a Ethernet cable and of course the power in your house. To run the uh, whatever data to the area. The problem is that when you go to send out any type of data, it will go throughout the whole house. It's 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 like it's like trying to go through a maze, trying to figure out which direction it's going. So if you have any problems with your power, uh, you could lose uh, you could lose packets, you could lose uh, uh, speed on that. Uh, and so, but with Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi is getting a lot better, a lot better but you're also having to deal with all these devices starting to attach to your Wi-Fi. So it's, it, there's a lot of give and take and it's, it's all individual use and what works best for you. Makes sense. Tom Ferguson had
7: thought too. And one more problem is if your uh, two devices are on different phases of your electrical box, that means that your connection has to go back to the electrical box, then back into the house and get to the second device. There could be a whole lot of noise in between those two points. Makes sense. Next question.
1: Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Paul says there was a Blab reunion on Tony Mobley's show. What was the Blab, and when did it start and end?
0: Sadly, um, our friend John Pretto had to leave. He had an appointment this morning. Uh, He was there in the early days of Blab. He's talked about it a good little bit. Sounds like it was a really fun early uh, chat or communication system. Jeffrey Powers, were you involved in that?
6: Uh, well, I, I do his YouTube. So basically, it was not only just Blab; it was also Meerkat. He was doing a double reunion, but uh, of course, highlighted for Blab, he brought on a bunch of people. It was there was a lot of coming, coming and going uh, on the show, from what I saw, and uh, pretty decent. And he had a lot of fun, and uh, it was it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, those early CB, those early social media networks are really charming and, and sometimes problematic. Uh, I've said before. I've told the story of how I was on CB Simulator back in the early days of the internet and uh, watched how people got angrier and more impolite by virtue of the fact that they were not under their own name and under handles. And at that point, I decided to just use my own name on the internet, so I wouldn't say anything too horrible that would follow me through the rest of my life. I think it was a good kuros, but I did, you know, these early things, a lot of friendships are made and clearly with what happened with John Preto and they're doing a reunion all these years later, they were connections with other humans that have lasted the test of time. So good for you. Let's go to the next question.
1: From Zach Phillips in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, asking, do you use the stream deck companion plugin to maintain access to native stream deck plugins Or do you use one device for Companion and one for Stream Deck or just Companion? I'm going to start with David uh, Paskin
0: and then go on from there.
3: Yeah, uh, there is um, uh, the Elgato plugin for Stream Deck access. Uh, So there are actually two ways to do this, right? You can, if you're running the native Stream Deck software, you can use a a plugin from companion or you can uh, use this Elgato plugin for Stream Deck access. Uh, I'm running 3.0 already, um, at the the beta, and I'm terrified that uh, it's going to fall apart as it is, um, although it's been pretty solid for me. And so I I use one set of stream decks with my companion and then another stream deck with my um, the streaming computer and I keep them separate. I use the different programs in each one and that keeps everything working. David, have you ever
0: counted the pure number of
3: buttons you have in front of you? Just curious. You can never have too many buttons. So here's the problem. The problem is, is that Jeff uh, Wildren, uh, posted the other day that there was a sale on the Stream Deck XL on Amazon, 20% off, which meant I had to get one, even though I don't need it. Uh, so I, I, um, I expanded my button count by a third, which is really exciting. Is your trigger
0: 20% if it's if anything is 20%? Has my any trigger utility is sale. <laughs> my <laughs> trigger is sale. You are a typically normal human being. <laughs> my wife should be nodding in the other room at this point.
6: Uh, Jeffrey Powers. So I've always used Stream Deck as the primary layer to Companion because uh, I've also used things like uh, Central Control, which also is an overlay for Stream Deck, and I, I've always done split buttoning. Anything that uh, comes from the local machine is usually run through a Stream Deck, whereas anything that has to be like, for instance, when I did my graphics on on a different machine, uh It was on it was I was using viscero that went to the uh machine uh via companion and of course, so with the ATEM and and all these other devices now I can do a uh, totally control from there in fact, when I do my live show this that the computer that i'm I'm streaming from is sitting up here, but everything is running through companion downstairs with some local buttons uh from the stream deck that go to the machine that it's uh carrying over to. Mitchell Hill. Yeah, plus one on what
1: Jeffrey just said. So to answer your question, you don't need to split them up. You can run them all in the same machine.
0: There you go. Uh, we're moving on to the next question, but I will note that we are burning through our questions pretty fast this morning. We have a lot of questions for the One Button Studio in our second hour. I'm really happy to see that. But uh, we will switch over a little bit earlier if we don't have more general questions. If you want to put some more in, it's a good day to do it. Let's go on. Go ahead. And David Paskin from
1: Miami, Florida, and on our panel, has asked... Has anyone noticed a participant's video in Zoom glitching and then reproducing the active speaker's feed in theirs? Any
0: fixes? I haven't seen that. I don't. Uh, has anybody else? I, now, I'm not saying it has anything to do with the complexity of your arrangement, David. But uh, tell us. No, what it's you- it, it it it's the strangest thing. It's uh you you'll
3: see the glitching or the you know the um the static on the screen, and then whoever is the active speaker their video ends up in that person's square Uh, and it kind of comes and goes it's it's very odd behavior i've seen it on two or three different users my best guess would be that they need to update their zoom client but i wasn't sure if anyone else had seen that um it's not just me seeing it everyone else in the meetings is able to see it as well
0: are your zoom uh are your uh Atoms all up to date? I, I, I'm wondering how old they are because I've noticed a few little anomalies and I've had this Atom for, gosh, three, almost three years, two and a half years since they first came out. Um, yeah, my, this Atom, I don't think it has anything to do
3: with the Atom because I, okay. I stream through software on my computer uh, or, or I go to zoom
0: through software. So, yeah. Well, um, That may be a conundrum. So anybody who has some uh, thoughts on this from anywhere in the world of office hours, toss in a note and maybe we can help David out. Sorry, we couldn't cover it right here on the panel. Let's go on to the next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael asking, would a white colored or black colored
0: mic look more professional on camera? That's um, Jeffrey. He's going to start us out. What do you think?
6: What do you guys think? I'm I'm running a white camera or white microphone on my uh, on my not. Camera you're kind of half all. and half yeah. there. You've got I am, yeah, I'm just uh, horrible. So uh, if you if you're really worried about it, you know, uh, I know that there's a company out there that actually makes uh, skins for uh, things like the MV7. You can change it to whatever color that you want. You can put your own logos on it if you want. So I think it's all about the better sound than about having a because this is this just seems to be a. A regular question is, do, do I do I look too professional, not professional enough with a microphone and frame? And the the answer is, if you're sounding great, then that's the important thing.
3: David Baskin, <clears throat> Excuse me, I'll just say that ever since I got the um, the high OPR 40, I've regretted not getting it in black. Um, and that's primarily because um, I, I'm doing so much other so many other things on screen I'm I'm bringing in overlays I'm telestrating all that other stuff and having a dark um, uh, a dark frame makes all of that easier and so uh, I wish Just I had gone the black <laughs>
0: Mitchell Hill
1: um, Jeffrey I think uh, Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney wrote a song about that uh, sv7 but not- notwithstanding that, um, if you want to call attention to your mic, sure, a lighter color is going to work. Um, if you just want it to blend into the background, uh, black is fine. Uh, companies like Sankin that make lav mics now are making uh, lav mics that are the same color or multiple colors so that the uh, anchors on TV can match the uh, mic to the color of the uh, outfit they happen to wear. So if they've got a red blouse on or whatever, the mic can be red. Um, if it's over your skin area, then it can be flesh colored. Um, it's it's completely uh, becoming a fashion accessory.
0: You know, there is a thing in the production business called show black. And show black is partially uh, a result of anything you put into a camera shot that is other than a light sink can cause problems for you uh, traditional things like shooting cars very difficult because cars are shiny and they reflect everything so if what they were are reflecting is a bright color like white or a red or something like that you will see highlights in the car because it's reflective of those things that should not be seen because they are behind the plane of the camera so show black uh, is a, a process and we used to go around a lot and have to kind of use gaffers tape or things like that to kill specular highlights from things that were out in the field behind where we're shooting. Um, The problem for me is I remember once I had a, a big, really comfortable canvas bag that I used to throw a lot of gear in. And one day I was in need of something really fast, and I went in and like the ten devices and and pigtails and cables and that thing in it were all black, so finding a black thing in a black bag was like trying to find something in a bottomless pit. It took me an extra thirty seconds to kind of go no, no no, 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 because i couldn 't see anything in there in fact that 's why in ordering bags at this point in my career, I tend to try to find bags that have bright orange or bright orange uh, bite yellow backgrounds because it actually makes it easier to find things in the bag uh backstage so white colored or black colored part of that is the look you want do you want it to be present i mean uh, people say how do you mic yourself and that's probably because my mic is really literally fading into the to my t-shirt and that's one of the reasons i chose to wear black t-shirts i just don't want it to be that present um but it's, you know, these are the things that are aesthetic parts of designing a frame for a shot that you want to do. Mitch, you have a last thought before we move well, on? Well, there's one other option is uh, have your mic out of the frames. <laughs> Mine is right
1: That's here. True. So it could be any color it wants. It could have a disco ball in it. Nobody would notice the difference.
0: <laughs> good, good point. Uh, so I hope that answers your question, Douglas. Next question. From David Paskin in Miami, Florida, asking thoughts on the Hopin versus Zoom events. We've been talking about that a little bit. I have no experience with either. I haven't noted, but I just like the fact, I always like the fact that when somebody, and Zoom in this case, kind of went into the event space on there, uh, it it drags a lot of people behind them. It becomes popular. and, And then all of a sudden you get competitors. And even if one starts out and stays ahead of the other, the fact that there is competition in these spaces generally improves things for everyone. Uh, I have seen circumstances where a product that dominates an industry just doesn't evolve so quickly because there's no compare uh competition for it David you wanted to weigh in on this my, my
3: very limited experience with these platforms is that is that they make the case for people like those on this panel to facilitate and produce these events because I think that they're they're not for the faint of heart um, to to Set up events on these platforms. I'm asking because I'm participating in our panel on Hopin uh, later this month. And, and while I've done, I've joined Hopin as a participant. I've never joined it as a as a panelist. And I was wondering if anyone had any experience with that.
0: Yeah, no, uh, Alex probably has. But unfortunately, because he's out of town today, I, he's not here to weigh in on this. I Yeah. Um, complexity. I I think most of the people who are watching the show right now would be utterly flabbergasted at the amount of complexity there is built in the back end of office hours. There are so many people around the world. There is so much technology. There's so much equipment that goes into making this show possible every single day, and it is constantly evolving. Uh, One thing about the entire internet production broadcast, webcast, however you want to frame it, Industry is that it's growing up by leaps and bounds right under us as we're doing it. So um, I think there's just going to be more complexity. And hopefully some portions of it will become, uh, the the complexity will be successfully hidden from the end user so that you can use things that are fundamentally complex without having to spend a ton of time learning how to use them. But it's the golden age of what we're doing right now. And it's really fascinating to be a part of it. Let's move on to the next question,
1: and it's coming to us from Rotem Kish in Masquered Batya, Israel. Does anyone have experience with companion and X keys to control ATAM? Jeffrey Powers.
6: Yeah, I've played with this uh, uh, like last year or something like that. It's a uh, it's it can be done, um, but uh, basically what you're setting you're setting up your X keys similar to a stream deck. And like for instance, button one of the stream deck is button one of your X keys. If you have like a, let's say you have the 32 button uh, stream deck and you wanna get button 33, what's that's gonna do is it's gonna flip to the next page. So technically button three thirty-three would be page two of uh, of the next uh, companion page. Uh, I would highly suggest that uh, you, you look into central control cause that's a better paired uh, app for uh, for uh, use of the X keys. You're going to have to pay for it, but they've, they've got a lot of stuff. And Joda Max has been working on a lot of cool features that you use with central control and your ATEM.
0: Nice. Thank you. Next question. Next one in from
1: Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois. Kenny asked, interested in panelist com- comments on DJI portable microphone system, small compact kit, onboard mic recording, Eight hundred twenty-foot range, two independent mic systems, in case charging, interesting features. How does it sound? Product link in Mukana.
3: David Paskin, do you have some experience with this? Uh, you'll have to forgive me. I don't with the DJI, but it's very, very similar to the Rode Go Two, um, which I have here, the wireless Go Two, I should say. Um, and I, I think um, Guy sort of alluded to this before. It it, it works. It's not the highest quality. Um, I used it the other day, actually, um, for a second person in here, I put it on, they have a cute little handheld uh, adapter that you can snap this into the receiver or the transmitter into. And um, it was okay, had a little noise, little self noise, uh, but it got the job done. And I think DJI is pretty similar to that.
0: Yeah, it makes sense to me too. It's really been interesting. You know, once upon a time, wireless microphones came in two very large packages. They had a lot of circuitry in them and they were built kind of on old surface mount stuff. And then, um, I remember reading an article about what was happening in VLSI, very large scale integration of, of kind of taking some of these circuits and making them very small, uh, driving them with chips instead of uh, discrete circuits. And we started getting classes of equipment that could perform most of the functions of those bigger circuits, but in a very smaller, very less power-hungry uh, fashion. And it seemed to me that there were a lot of companies that leveraged this to come out with less expensive, but still decent working uh, things. And then even the higher-end microphone systems, wireless micro systems, started getting smaller and smaller, and yet still having really exceptional Um, quality to them. So I think we just benefited in wireless from the consistent improvement in technology for uh, these manufacturers who are doing microchips and things like that, making things smaller and better all the time. There are two different tiers of them, and I would never put the pure sound of one of the inexpensive systems directly against one of the highly engineered highly researched and carefully designed ones. I'm not saying that the small ones aren't like that, but it just seems like there's, there's they work in different specifications zones because they're after different customers. Some are very price sensitive and some are, I don't care how much it costs, just make it as perfect as you can. Jeffrey, you had some thoughts on this?
6: Yeah, the the 820-foot range is pretty subjective. If you're at home and and you're running around your house, that's one thing. If you're at a conference, I don't think you're gonna get to 820-foot feet. However, with the mic recording on the mic itself, being able to transfer that audio over and then rejoining with with whatever you're doing, if you're doing video or if you're just podcasting, um, then that's actually a good saving device. I do like that. I've always wanted podcast microphones to actually have a self-recording option in them uh so this is the uh, this is uh, this really decent item if you're not doing any type of live streaming
0: makes sense thank you kenny uh thank you for uh, thank you jeffrey for kenny and thank you kenny for the question let's move on to the next one
5: james
1: haldane from vancouver canada asking did anyone attend the webinar yesterday ndi webinar atx wi-fi joe and bird dog The webinar did not work on my system. Choppy audio and video, did it work for anyone else out there? Why did they use GoToMeeting?
4: (laughs) Guy Cochran. This is why I love what we do every day. We're able to, you know, really stress test systems and know that they're going to work every day. So they used GoToMeeting, who knows why, but they should have used Zoom. Hey guys, if you need a Zoom webinar license, I will give you one for free, NDI.tv, because yeah, it was hiccupy and there's a whole thread on it in the Reddit video engineering forum. And uh, Lenny says in there that it was because of the NDI signal going into GoToMeeting, which isn't a normal thing. So they had to do a bunch of capture card stuff at the last minute and they had a faulty HDMI desk. Um, adapter in there and so uh, the recording i'll put a link to the in chat it looks like it was actually a uh, nice session once it got underway there's uh, the ceo of bird dog Uh, so i'll put a link to that and you can watch it but again be aware you want to test 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 and make sure your platform's bulletproof but go with the standards i mean all these uh, exotic ones that nobody uses uh, can be dangerous so be aware
0: it's always weird to me when I see people using AirPods as their IFB uh, and or monitor on on that level of show. I mean, I, I know a lot of people do it and I know it works and a lot of people are happy with it, but it always seems to me to be, uh, I, I don't know, risky, I guess, is how I would feel about it. But maybe I'm wrong. Let's move on to the next question.
1: David Paskin in Miami, Florida, here on our panel asking, speaking of attending webinars, has anyone tuned into any of the Streaming Media Connect sessions?
0: Nobody's raised their hand on this, so it looks like maybe nobody has out of this panel. Uh, David, did you hear anything about it specifically? I, I, yeah, what I, in?
3: yeah, I did. I, I went to the one that Alex uh, spoke about. Um, I uh, The content was very interesting. Um, I the entire time was wishing that they had just let Alex produce it um, so that it looked more like office hours. Um, and, um, and then I went to one last night, which I thought was going to be about, um, specific tech tools or gear. And I'm not quite sure what it was about. I sort of tuned out. Um, I dunno, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I mentioned earlier, I'm participating in this panel later, and it's a specifically about, digital streaming and, and this kind of stuff. And I'm, it worries me that those who profess to be doing this professionally in the business, aren't, uh, aren't worrying about how they are presenting themselves in in these conferences that, that maybe they do it for others, but they don't do it for themselves. The, The attending these conferences that are,
0: um, just not up. Maybe we're all just spoiled. Maybe we're no, just I don't think so. I think you're hitting on something. Maybe why would you go to a conference of tailors in ill-fitting clothes? It doesn't make any sense to me. And yet we're still seeing this. And I, under, you know, I understand there's kind of still this glow of streaming is a new thing. But we've been doing it for two years here. And the industry has been doing it longer than that. Um, you would think that people would have solved. And, and some people have. I do go to events. And I see, even if they're not using the same tools we do, I see a level of professionalism and you can tell that they've taken the time to try to get it right. And um, it, it it's truly like just showing up appropriately, not in cutoffs and a t-shirt, for a big presentation. I mean, nobody would do that. And yet we still see these professional presentations done by large companies with large budgets and resources. And they come in as if it's your grandma from Cincinnati doing her first Zoom call. It's just a weird thing. I don't know what's going on. Mitchell, you want to say something about it before? Yeah, I just just... want to
1: throw one more metaphor in there. Uh, Plumbers with linky faucets, things like that. Uh, I can't wait till Alex gets back. So I'm sure we're going to hear a ruthless review of their performance. And we hope that they get the message.
0: Yeah. And the question for him is how, you know, do you confront them uh, in the middle? Could you go into the lion's den and say, guys, you're doing this wrong? It, you know, that is difficult for people to hear. And the, the personal relationship management and not not getting out too far ahead so that people stop listening to you because they think you're just being critical and don't understand that, no, you've actually spent a lot of time trying to figure out what can help them succeed better And you're doing your honest best to to tell them what you've learned about what actually works. I mean, that is an act of kindness toward those people. And sometimes it's it's very hard, you know, to present to somebody this isn't working. And it's well, in a sense, we're sort
1: of contributing to the uh, confusion because we set a very high level our bar for the quality of our video and the quality of our sound and the quality of our broadcast, et cetera, et cetera, um, so that when we see things failing for other people that are below our bar of acceptance, Uh, we're very sensitive to it and we generally react to it. So it's not always fun to be uh, the top level of quality. Everybody points to and says, you know, that
0: office hours program, they do a great job. I don't know if it's even the top level. You know, one of the things I learned from my time in corporate, change is hard. Uh, I went through uh, seminars and I recorded seminars for companies just talking about change in a big organization and bringing in professional speakers to try to speak to all the levels of the organization, the executive class, the middle managers, the line employees and their vendors and everybody else about why change was necessary And how difficult it is to get people to do it. I mean, we all feel comfortable when we think we know when we're going to get up in the morning and do something. We know all the processes. Heck, it happens to me every day. I come in here and I'm finally, after, you know, almost a thousand shows, I'm pretty darn comfortable with knowing each switch I have to push in this relatively complex thing I'm doing at home. To get onto office hours, and everybody here has gone through that same climb. Uh, in fact, we'll be talking about that here in just a couple of minutes. And in talking about the one-button studio, trying to make something that is inherently a complex process super easy, so that there is no barrier and you take all the friction out of being able to do it. But I, I'm seeing that I saw that all the time in my corporate practice about you know the 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 execs knew where they wanted to go. But to get buy-in from the whole organization and to get people actually to change their habits and build new habits was always a challenge. And I think that's just human nature. I think that's part of what we'll have to face. Um, I see new faces in the panel and some traditional faces. And I'm happy to see everybody here. I am... uh, mumbling a little bit because I wanted to try to get to the top of the hour. We got about three minutes left to go. So I think I'm going to go ahead and dive into this a little bit earlier. Um, We were saying that for a long time, our dear friend Guy Cochran has been talking to some of us about this idea of the One Button Studio. And he's uh, assembled a group of professionals and people around him to try to make this real. And we are going to get an update on exactly what this is. I hinted a little bit about it with the idea of trying to take a complex process, which is I'm in a corporate environment, or I'm in a, it could be an individual, but it could be a business, could be anything, and and these systems tend to go into organizations. I think we'll hear more about that from them. But something that is really simple that that somebody who is not technically proficient and doesn't spend all of their time, like most of us here on the panel do, thinking about technology, can have a really valuable resource so that they can hit a button and essentially webcast as appropriate to an audience and something that takes a lot of the confusion and complexity out of that process. So Guy, I know you're here. Do you want to introduce your fellow presenters here and tell us kind
4: of what you're going to be going through? Yeah, we have, thanks Bill, we we have um, this just prof- profound, um, how can I explain it, a piece of equipment that we've been working on for five years and it came about out of necessi- necessity. And it was because people were uh, making mistakes with video, they, uh, spe- specifically students. So it, it originated at Penn State and people wanted to just make it easy for students to just go in, rehearse. Um, so it was mostly recordings so that, remember when you had to get in front of the class and you had to deliver a presentation and you'd get nervous, that kind of thing. So they, they wanted a space where people can go in and try it out. So. Um, they would record themselves and then they would uh, either get feedback from instructors or some instructors were letting them, instead of going in front of the class, uh, put this piece up in front. So when we looked at it, it came about for us because uh, we saw a lot of product called Reflect Media and we saw a lot of it shipping to Pennsylvania and we're like, what the heck is going on in Pennsylvania? So the original system used uh, this green screen product called Reflect Media. And we shipped a bunch over there. And then we figured out that they had like nine of these studios on their campus because students just kept needing them and needing them. So when we looked at the build list, we were like, wow, that's a lot of stuff that teachers have to buy. And so we we bought one. We bought the original, well, we bought all the pieces of the puzzle. So the original one was like a spreadsheet that just said, go buy this this uh, microphone go to best buy and go get a camcorder that's two or three hundred dollars and so you can imagine a two or three hundred dollar camcorder just it wasn't that great of a look so we built one and then jason who i'm going to introduce here in just sec uh is kind of the maniac uh with the uh mad scientist who took this system and said i could make this better and so jason you want to jump in and uh talk a little bit how you built that first one and and what you found
8: yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, our original concept was to uh, base uh, a, a commercial product on Penn State's model. Uh, as you may know, they they opened it up. It was just kind of an open source thing for them. You could use their app. You could use their list of parts. Uh, but there are still some barriers there as far as having to source all these parts from different vendors there was a custom cabinet that was part of it that took six weeks to get and all these different pieces uh, to bring it together. So we just started the process by by building one and ordering all the parts and pieces and putting it together and waiting the six weeks for the cabinet and and the whole deal. And so I put one together and just started testing it and realized that the app hadn't been updated in a few years. and. There was some, like, the hardware button for starting the recording wasn't actually compatible with the, uh, the newer version of Mac OS. And I, I just, I, I noticed with the app, there was there was like a one to two second delay because um, in, in, <laughs> they were running it through uh, an H.264 encoder from Blackmagic Design. And so there was, there was quite a delay on what you were seeing. You weren't really seeing live video and, uh, anyway, so there's just a number of, of issues that led me to the, um, the conclusion that I couldn't use that system. Um, I couldn't sell it. Let's put it that way. I wasn't comfortable selling it as a package. And so, uh, having been involved in video production for 20 plus years and having gotten into live video and being a big fan of, uh, the application Mimo Live. On the Mac, I, I thought, you know what? I bet I can build something. Um, it's going to be a little better using Nemo live. So that's what I set out to do. And, um, yeah. And five years later, here we are. And, uh, it's been, it's been an interesting ride for sure. But it's really I fun to be I suspect you're to... skipping
0: over some steps when you just say, and five years later, here we are. <laughs> just a few. Just a few. Uh, we'll talk about some of the specific specific things, but I noticed that uh, we have other people in the panel. And uh, uh, John Idelson is here, and Cyprian Lomax is here. Are you guys, um, have you come in because you use the system? And is that what's going on, Cyprian? I haven't seen you in quite a while on Office Hours.
9: Yeah, it's it's been quite a while. Um, no, I'm an example of what not to do. Uh, so we, we, I watched office hours in the early days, learned a lot, went ahead and set up a studio. We set up something in our space and we watched it being used, but not particularly very well. Um, and, um, yeah, so that's my position.
0: Fair enough. And John Idelson, it's good to see you again you haven't been here in a while.
10: Yeah, it's good to see you, and and Cyprian really didn't say all that his connection here. Cyprian and I are both part of a group called ELI, which is the Educause Learning Initiative. We were research fellows for a year, and he wrote a, a piece about the seven buttons, uh, seven facts about the one button studio, which I thought was an interesting combination. But we're here because it's, uh, we're educators who used them when I was at CSU Monterey Bay, we were setting up various ways of recording students so they could practice and demonstrate proficiencies. Almost every campus has a general ed course, which is speech, and you need to get in front of a class and give a speech, and then you get critiqued. But it's uh, lots of students, limited time, and the feedback always isn't as robust if they had more time to be able to comment on it. So many faculty members like to have this, their students you know, practice record it look at it improve it and then they could also give feedback to that recording before the student presents in front of a live audience or uh, as uh, was mentioned sometimes students will even just use what they record so we we were involved in the groups that started talking about how do you do this lots of campuses use their um, television production studios but that required a full crew Many times the teachers would have to provide their own uh, gear themselves. And so the one button studio was a way of making it simple. And uh, it's grown a lot from the original work that Penn State did.
0: Guy, before we bring back Cyprian to make sure, I uh, bring back Jason, sorry, to make sure that we understand the, the flow, can you talk to us about your, orig- your
4: original list of what were your goals for this? <laughs> Yeah, the mission of DV stores to help people create better video, and so when we saw this, we we're like, "Is this really helping people?" And you know, we're, we're professionals; we want to at least bring them up to the next level. And phones are are really powerful now, but you got to remember when this thing started out, there was flip cams. Remember those little flip cams? And I know John was showing them in our meeting yesterday. He's just like, this is what we were giving students and they would even mess that up. And it's like, it's only got one button on it. How do you, how do you mess that up? So it, there is something about the lighting, the audio. So you can put a flip camera, you know, five feet away from you. And of course the audio is not going to be good. You could use it with a window behind you, and of course it's not going to be good. So when we started researching this, what would make it easy for somebody to just walk into, you take away a lot of the mistakes that are commonly made, exposure, bad audio. Uh, kids and subject matter experts don't want to learn about the technical stuff that we get into with adjusting ISO and shutter speed. You start saying this stuff and you're speaking Greek to them. So when we started making this thing, we were like, wow, we're making this so that Content creators can just walk in, rehearse their stuff, know their stuff, and put out a quality piece. And I don't mean to take away jobs from uh, studio personnel, but I've seen like University of Michigan has a multi-million dollar facility. And to be able to use their facility, you're carving out a couple people's hours of time, if not days. And for a simple uh, shoot to just sit down, I mean, people just want to walk away with a talking head clip that they can go and put into their presentation or put on their YouTube or put into their course curriculum. And that's what this does is it just allows somebody to really quickly go in and use it. And so I applaud Penn State for doing what they, they did to create this thing, but they just left it. Like they, the software does literally not work. And so they had to pull it from the app store because people are just complaining. So what we did was we said, how can we make it better? We worked with Oliver from Mimo Live and there's a lot under the hood. I mean, you're yeah, there's API calls, and I mean it's it's pretty crazy how many layers. If you were to see the stack, because we've got the digital lightboard, which we'll see. So basically, there's a Wacom tablet that uh, you can illustrate right over the top of video, and just that alone, it, it yeah. It, I'll let Jason show you the the really the cool stuff uh, because I don't want to take anything away from his presentation. But he's got he's got some nifty stuff that came out of necessity. Uh, we actually had. Uh, one of the zoom execs come by and take a look at it and he gave us some feedback and so we've even did things like uh, made it ADA compliant which was a, a big thing for access in libraries so I'm happy that we were able to do those things so th- this is iteration uh version 4 so we're all, we're all the way up to 4 <laughs> the, the last one being that they came in with a I came into the office and they had gone to Staples and they took foam core and they made this thing, this mock-up. It looked like a high school or not even that. It looked like a elementary school taped together science project. And I was, they're like, this is our new product. And I was like, well, scratching my head. They're like, this is what it should be. And the next thing I know, Jason's in this hardcore uh, app, spinning this stuff around and going to Canada and getting stuff dipped in, uh, what do you call it? Metal dipped and in, in fabricated. It it it's advanced stuff. So the panel that he's sitting in front of, it's custom made. It's, it's, uh, there's cuts and so many extrusions and all that stuff. So we took this thing from being just a go to Best Buy and go buy a $200 camera to like some next level stuff. So I'll pass it over to, to Jason so he could talk. Yeah, Jason, you about
0: it. had to implement all this. Talk to us. Talk us through the process.
8: Well as i said it really i i i felt confident that i could use uh mimo live as the backbone the software backbone for this and the um um the bodacious uh, bradenbach brothers of boinks as i like to call them <laughs> um oliver and Achim, have been just just fantastic to work with uh they've done they've added features to mimo live specifically for this project um this product um, they've done some, some custom coding. Um, we've got another little app that runs that we call the one button studio controller. That's a little go between, between Meme Alive and some of the hardware. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of cool, cool things going on there. Hey, Jason, um, but- if I
0: had never touched this and I just walked into the one button studio, what would my experience be? What do I do? How do I get on the air?
8: Yeah, you're, uh, when you come in, you would actually first see this on the screen. And I can, I can give you an idea of actually what it, what it looks like in here, um, without the studio lights on. So (laughs) the, uh, so the overhead lights are actually on in this room right now. But, uh, but this is what the user would see when they come in. And they would, they would just hit the, the launch button and the lights would come on. And then they get the next set of instructions. Which is just to load their presentation. So we've got we've got two Mac minis in the system actually that are that are running this. One that's doing the, the recording and the compositing, and the other that is accessible by the end user for loading their presentation and running their presentation. So just for kicks here, I can I can open up a, a keynote presentation. So anything that show, I've just got a screen, an NDI screen capture app running, um, and it's um, it's just capturing everything that's on this screen, and it sends it over um, as a picture-in-picture. You can see behind me. So, uh, so when you're there's there's various uh, configurations that you can make here. So there's a presentation position button. And it's a single button, but what it does is it just cycles through different options for where your presentation's at. So you can actually go full screen completely if you want to. I'll leave it over here. There's uh, there's actually a camera position button that what it does is actually just moves me around in the screen, so I can make myself smaller. I can get way down here. I can do the kind of the Twitch style uh, head and shoulders in the corner. So there's different options there, and for those that that I, th- this is a feature I recently added because I was getting the request from several customers. They're saying we've got faculty members that want to present and they want to use the digital lightboard and they they want to use this, but they just don't want to be on camera. <laughs> and so I, I was a little I was a little hesitant because I, I hate to give people an easy way out just to to not be on camera, but Again, you, you got to listen to the customers. So I have a presenter off button that just takes you out of the picture, right? So you can use all the other functions. You just don't show up. So
0: now, is that myself. background the blurred background that you've got back there of the classroom uh, something that an administrator sets, or do you have some choice over that as you're an operator?
8: So the um, so what's available to the end user is is set by the admin user. So the admin will load in whatever backgrounds um, they want to be available to the end user, and you can see I'll just cycle through some of my my defaults here.
0: Nice. Not that I ever make a mistake, but let's see. I've got up to this point, and I'm ready to do my presentation. And the first sentence I mangle horribly, which is my norm. Uh, how do how do they escape and and go again
8: yeah i'll show you that process they would hit the recording button um to get a recording countdown and you can't see it from your angle but there's actually a recording light that goes on on the system so it's really clear that the recording is happening and so they would go through their their presentation here click through their slides um if they mess something up they They could simply just hit the button again. The recording stops. Um, And in this system, the file actually gets um, recorded live to the hard drive of the recording Mac. And at the end of the process, when the recording stops, a copy is made, and it's sent across to the presentation Mac um, where the user has access to it, and they can just upload it to Google Drive or OneDrive or wherever they want to put it. So,
0: so that's pretty much it. And then I guess it just iterates number. If you make two mistakes, the third one becomes your golden master, essentially, and that's what you send out. Yeah
8: each each file each file uh, has a has a, a time a, a date stamp in the file name, so it's really easy to t- determine what um, yeah which recording is which. You pick the one that's good, and you upload it, and you're good to go.
0: So. Now, how much space you said you have lighting, you have camera, you have uh, the the software system and the rest of that. How big a system is it? What size room would be appropriate for an organization to have this mounted or or operating in?
8: Yeah, great questions. So with our with our our reflect media, previous reflect media system, green screen system, uh we could we could get away with some smaller spaces Um, with version four we moved away from reflect media for um, a couple of different reasons um one was um they just uh, over the course of a year they essentially doubled their prices and um which was a little bit of a turnoff and (laughs) and the other was uh we really wanted to take the keying to the next level and so we decided to move to a traditional green screen, which we've got now. We've actually integrated uh, a Blackmagic Design Ultimat into the system um, for the best possible keying. Uh, you can't you can't tell with me because I don't have any hair, but um, hair actually looks really good on this keyer. So, <laughs> I'm 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 finally really satisfied with with the keying after after this many years, um, and it took just using dedicated hardware to do it. So.
0: So, would a typical space be maybe a, a ten by twenty or a fifteen by twelve?
8: You know what? What? Actually, yeah, what's the smallest space you a, could go into? This is a, a minimum space would be a nine by twelve, which is what I'm in right now. So. Okay, great.
4: Hey, here's here's an example of that. This is the former system, but this is that same room that he's in right now. You you get a an idea of the cabinet that's there, and the this is a Matterport scan. Uh, so there's uh, some sound panels on the on the wall. Uh, this is a, the former system that had the Reflect Media ring there, but you get an idea of the cart. And then uh, we've improved the, the cart uh, that holds the digital light board, which is there. And then that background was a green uh, Reflect Media background. It looks gray in this picture, but it was actually uh, green screen. So we're updating these photos, but you can see that there's some lighting up, up top and uh, there's some sound panels on the wall. And then there's a microphone, but this is about a uh, eight by ten room, I believe, Jason, that you're in right now. It's a it's a nine by 12. Nine by twelve. So that should. So get you don't
0: need a particularly high ceiling or some huge, spacious area to install this. You can
8: in a typical office. It's it's designed to go into a room with no special infrastructure, just a typical sheetrock walls drop ceiling grid over the top so the lights actually hang from the drop ceiling as does the microphone Um our new green screen is uh, actually from stretch shapes if you're not familiar with that company they make some some beautiful green screen systems we're using their quick wall system it has these uh, low profile steel stands and so it's a freestanding green screen doesn't need to be drilled into the wall um, so that makes uh, installation less invasive. Um, we just really tried to make it as easy as possible to put a system in without doing any infrastructure changes without calling in facilities or an electrician or or what have you. Um, so we're using a track system that just screws right onto the um, the existing uh, drop ceiling um, that carries power to the lights and uh, we've we've actually got a um, a five light system. So we've got two soft boxes up front for key and fill. We've got a backlight as well. And then we have two, uh, a tube light on either side, which is actually um, shooting back directly um, on the green screen to help even things out back there. So
0: nice. Uh, Mitch has a question here on the panel before we dive in uh, to the questions from the audience.
1: Yeah, uh, Jason, if you don't mind, uh, is it possible to show the device and could you walk us through it from what it actually looks like as opposed to from the user point of view?
8: Yes, I, actually, I can, um, I've got my phone here, which I also joined the meeting with. And I could switch over to this. Um, I'm getting some interesting... My phone tells me I'm in safe driving mode.
0: That is required for presentations live coming from a secondary source. <laughs> this is Murphy's corollary to zoom presentation. If the phone needs to be on, it will be off.
8: So, and I have a leave button and, uh, it's not letting me leave. Well, maybe so we should actually go really fast for,
2: for forgive me for interjecting, but perhaps the one button studio needs a second button.
0: <laughs> yeah, allow phone. Uh, I switch to phone button. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it, it, yeah, so let's just do a couple of questions real quick and you can have a little bit of time to to settle into that. So, Mitch, what do we got first? All right, first in from uh, the question
1: uh, peanut gallery here Chris Widener from Lafayette, Indiana. For non technical users, what do you consider estimates of training time?
0: Oh, good question.
8: I can tell you that uh, when I go out and do installations, I always tell people, "Hey, let's do a training session at the end of it," and I invite whoever is there that wants to be a part of it. And um, I actually installed one of these at a middle school uh, last month in Pennsylvania, and uh, did the training and finished it up, and it was like, "Well, that's." That's about all you need to know. And uh, the gal looked at her watch. She's like, "That was only 15 minutes. I was planning for two hours." And uh, so, so it's a it's a pretty simple. Now, obviously, I can dive in a little bit deeper for admin users about some of the inner workings um, that they might be interested in. So, I can I can end up taking taking more time. But but really, it's it's really simple to come in and and learn how the system works it actually has a built-in demonstration video uh, and you just you hit play demo on the touch screen and it just it just has a 90-second walkthrough that walks you through um, every step of of the system Um, but every step along the way there's instructions on the screen and it's uh again just made to be to be really simple and um we've always you know we've tried to strike this balance of having some nice, really powerful features, having a high quality output, but just keeping that ease of use is really important to our customers.
0: It seems also to me when you said admin, I thought, oh, security issues, but you're not really streaming to the internet as much as you're recording to media. So you have control over that. Your goal appears to be to get a usable file that somebody can then embed in their communication. Am I right about that or does it have streaming and and things like that capabilities and if so well i that-
8: i am technically i am streaming right now right i'm streaming oh, that's to this, right. You are. To this meeting so we have what we call the zoom add-on which is actually a for version four it's an actual teleprompter so that's that's what i'm using right now and as you all know um teleprompters are great for for good eye contact with your audience right <laughs> so uh, we had, we actually had a, uh, a local nonprofit in here a couple of weeks ago, uh, that came in to use the system. And, um, they would, they actually just wanted to record some different snippets for their, um, their yearly, um, banquet where they essentially asked for money. And so they were putting together a video for that. So they wanted to interview a couple of different people. So we actually had the, the, um, the director of the nonprofit just come in via Zoom on the teleprompter and she was able to interview them as they sat here. And they were able to have direct eye contact with her and essentially just talk to her and answer her questions. And it was just a really just amazing way of of uh, running it versus having her actually in the room and then them maybe looking at her and then not knowing where to look, like, wait, do I look at the camera? Do I look at her? It just eliminated all that confusion. They were able to look directly at her in the teleprompter. and it worked out really well so it
0: essentially has an interatron function or mode that you can get into john idelson had a comment john
10: well as you going to talk about the you know amount of training when when the faculty members were discussing the idea of how simple does it need to be you know imagine that you have 20 sections of an introductory speech course with 20 students each and you want them all to go in and record a five-minute presentation and the, the faculty who are teaching the speech course uh, or general speech or uh, speech for business or whatever that course would be, um, there's a limited number of class hours. So you might be meeting for 12 weeks and you might be meeting for a 45-minute class hour. So they did not want to take the time out of their class time because their subject matter is not how to operate a studio, but their subject matter is how to give an effective or persuasive speech. So that... The goal was that a student could walk into a room, load their presentation, make that presentation, record it, view it, so they see what they if they liked it, and if they liked it, then have it on a in those days a thumb drive, and being able to uh, upload that to the teacher's uh, computer or go there. So the 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 goal of of you know, training was to have it where it really didn't need any training. And in the early days, it was basically a thumb drive, the original model, you walked in, and you plugged the thumb drive in, it was like a car key, the system lit up and started working. Um, thumb thumb drives and sneaker wear has gone out of favor. But the whole concept is, is a person doesn't need to be really trained. It's got job aid. So when you walk in, whether you know the system or not, you can stand there, and deliver and have that available for both practice and then possibly use and distribution.
0: Nice. Uh, Mitchell also had a comment. Yeah, I have a question uh, perhaps
1: for Guy. Um, How do you remote uh, control this device if you're doing like an Interatron and uh, somebody in some other location wants to drive the system?
4: So we could, I mean, as admins, we could come in and we could control the lighting, we can control the camera, so we we can basically take over the machine, but that's not for end users to do. But through Zoom, I mean, it's great for coaching. If you're, it's just like this meeting, you can have somebody inside of a meeting or do a meeting inside of a webinar, that kind of thing where you can, you know, basically, uh, if you have two of them, which is my dream is for people to have that intertron look where, like uh, Jason was just mentioning, when we had that lady, the director come in, uh, she wanted to stand next to the machine and ask questions to the person that was uh, uh, being interviewed. And it was interesting to see the dynamic when I said, hey, why don't you just take my iPad and go into the other room and uh, give him the questions through the system. And you could just see them light up, both of them lit up, and the communication through the eyes, because you could see you know, every little nuance, and it just doesn't come across when somebody's having to look. And, and you've been in these interviews where it's like, where do I look? Do I look at you or do I look at the camera? And so these days with this whole Zoom yeah you know, everybody looking at the camera it's become this uh, how do you do it while you're getting those gestures, those facial gestures that are just so important so we added into the system a 24-inch teleprompter with a Zoom add-on, and it was because of office hours. So I went in to use the system, and I was like, "I can't use this at office hours." So the picture that I was showing you with the TV, my eyes were looking like way up, and I was like, "This isn't going to work, guys." And so we got a hold of the folks at teleprompter teleprom- uh, people, and we said, "Hey, can you ship us over once so we could test it out?" And we just fell in love with it. I mean, it was just like wow. It was eye-opening. I guess there's a pun. Uh, it, was, it, <laughs> it was one of those things where you, you when you have something that big and you could see somebody's head the size that would be in real life it's natural i mean it really feels like you're talking to somebody so when i say having two of them i could see uh you know it's almost like a point-to-point communication format but people can be anywhere in the world in this example we were just right in the next room over but we could already see and feel the difference in the quality of the production just by by separating them and i know alex has talked a lot about this but to see it in real life, it's going to happen more and more. So, I mean, if you guys build your own, do build your own prompter, use an iPad, whatever it is, just know part of this session that this is a thing that is coming up really fast for people to talk to each other through teleprompters. And I know Google's working on some other fancy stuff that is, uh, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, holographic stuff. We'll, we'll see what happens with all that. But for now... I'm just proud to see these things going into a lot of schools where people get to use them and uh, libraries where there's this whole democratization of equity and access where people could use them that are uh, anybody. You know, you don't have to spend a dime. You just walk in and you use the system. So a lot of these places, you just book time on a calendar, waltz in, use the system, walk out. In fact, um, there's calendar software that people just use and they can just check in. Some, Some facilities even have them where... For instructors, they gave them a card key to access at 24 hours a day. So there's instructors in Tennessee that are going in creating content whenever they want. They just walk right in, use the system, walk out. So it's pretty amazing when you think of the labor that used to go into setting up a sit-down interview. Uh, I mean, audio person, somebody doing lights, producer. I mean, it's basically like an automated Recording studio where people just walk in use the system. So interestingly,
8: with uh, with our version four system, we're we're getting um, really really stirring up some good corporate interest. Uh, we we just recently sold uh, one of our version four systems to an AV integrator who is setting it up for a for a company um, mainly for use by the COO, and and then we had another guy uh, that flew in from Texas just so he could see the system in person. I mean, so, you know, he's serious, right? If he flies in <laughs> and uh, so he, he checked it out for a few hours and then had to fly back cause he had shoots the next morning. Um, and then two days later, he, you know, he, later he wired money for it. He was, he, he, he just bought it. And he's actually going to put it in a trailer. So he's building an entirely mobile one button studio that he's going to be taking to his customers. So um, that's going to be a few months because he's, he's custom building this trailer. But uh, that's going to be a pretty, pretty exciting use case when he gets that put together.
0: John had another comment. John Itelson.
8: Well, I was just going to mention, you
10: know, sort of this is version four of the iterations. When the one button studio was first created, it was meeting a need for a practice recording studio. So there was no thought of the Zoom meetings. In fact, the you know, pre-pandemic we weren't doing the, what we were doing now. And so the system was designed for a student to come in, quickly make a recording and have a copy of that that they could share with students and other uh, members of the community. COVID came and everybody's on Zoom. And so I think that's when Guy, you and I spoke a little bit about there should be a Zoom room in, into this. And one of the challenges that the the early One Button Studio had, it was primarily designed for a stand and deliver and not necessarily the contacts that we have now here. So this really is a iteration of the One Button Studio that really take uh, in what's currently happening in the field. So students not only need to learn how to make a good stand and deliver presentations that One Button Studio let them do, but they also need to learn how to do a good Zoom presentation. So now this uh, facility lets them do both. They could Um, And they could just practice it by doing a a Zoom presentation to one and look at the recording on Zoom. Or they could go and do it actually live. And I don't think the original One Button Studio creators really thought of this being a live production studio, but now it's become one.
0: And we're getting more and more. I mean, I do corporate mostly, and and I can't tell you the number of times I've gone to set up in a CEO's office. And it's a big, interruptive process process to do that. If they'd had something like this in some room there, the CEO, the CIO, all the rest of the executive team could go in and schedule time and talk to the troops, essentially. And that's 90% of an executive's job is setting standards and motivating people to achieve them. And I can see this as being a hugely powerful tool in doing that. Let's move on to the next question.
1: From Jonas Dattel in Stuttgart, Germany. Uh, can the remote control the lights and the camera of a one-button studio? Jason, do
8: you want to? So, um, so so the, uh, the control panel that I've got here, um, it will simply turn the lights on or off depending on, you know, when I start the session, the lights come on. When I end it, the lights go off. Um, if I don't end it and I just walk out, after 20 minutes of no activity, the system will shut the lights off itself. Um, so in that sense, the lights are controllable. Um, and as far as the camera, um, the, as far as the end user is concerned, it's the camera is is set it and forget it. Um, so the, the focus is locked in in this particular position. Um, it's framed up a certain way to, to line up with the green screen. Um again, we do have we do have functionality here where we can I can move myself around the screen to get out of the way if I want to show more of my presentation. Um, but um other than that, um all camera control would be up to an admin user. okay, so that's
4: reserved for a particular class of user. Guy, you had another thought about this. Yeah, we do have the ability, Jonas. Uh, he, I know Jonas has the same exact camera we're using in the system, which is a Panasonic BGH1, which has a, uh, an app, the Lumix Tether app, or you can go through a web browser. So for the admin access, if if somebody was getting this for um, a library school CEO suite or for somebody else's studio where they needed to reach in and make adjustments, the, the lights are aperture lights. So you do have the Citus Link app and then you can take over the computer, which means that you can take over the BGH one and have access to ISO, shutter speed, uh, white balance, focus, uh, audio levels, all the all the stuff. So there is there is quite a bit under the hood. We just hide that. That that's the idea of one button is that you forget about all that stuff and we just we set it all for you. And so it makes it consistent every single time that yeah. you just walk in I, it I would love
8: on. to I've got a, actually got a technical question. I would love to switch over to my phone and do a walkthrough. However, as soon as I join the meeting on my phone, it goes into safe driving mode and just and and completely locks me out of of anything. Is that a is that an iOS problem or is that a Zoom uh, problem?
4: Good question. I'm not sure why it's kicking you into safety. Maybe because you have it in that holder. I'm not sure why it would be. Uh, why does it think you're
0: it. driving? Huh. <laughs> I've I've run across driving mode on my phone a couple of times but usually only when
8: I'm driving. I'm I'm going to try it again here and see what uh see what I can do But it's
4: it's it's a strange. Well, let's do that. Let's go ahead and jump over to the next question and see if we can perfect like, give him a Mitch. little time.
1: Mike Edwards from uh, Brooklyn, New York wants to know, "Morning guys, pop the hood. What are the essential components used to create the one button studio?"
0: So, who's going to handle what's under the hood?
4: Yeah, I think this is where Jason really needs to get the. Oh, there he goes. He's popped in. There's his phone, yeah. His phone came in as a source, so.
8: Okay, I'm going to leave audio on the main system. There you are.
0: Yeah, it says connecting to audio. I'm seeing some little notifications. and Jason's head is in in, in vertical video mode.
8: Okay, should I switch... uh
0: there you go. Now you're wide. That's fine.
8: You're you're good, Jason. Okay, great. So I'm gonna switch my camera around. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my AirPod.
0: Whoops, it seems like you have dropped audio and frozen video. So I'm not sure if we're getting a solid signal. It looks like maybe a Bluetooth connection glitch. Hmm? Pictures come back to life. There, you're in horizontal wow. mode. There, and I heard a little bit. Oh, there we it. go. There we go.
8: Okay, I'm hearing you now. Okay, great. All right, so I'm going to flip the camera around so I can show this off. Okay, I'm going to start at the at the door over here and just give you a view of what this what this looks like. So we've got our, our cabinet with all the, the goodies inside here. We've got our presentation Mac monitor here showing us my keynote. This is the live view that shows everything, shows the live composite, our program monitor, essentially. And then we have our, our what we call our Zoom add-on teleprompter up here. You can see that our Panasonic BGH1 is behind here. So we've got our control console here. This is one of my favorite parts right here. It's just the backlit uh, StudioMatic. <laughs> Spoken <laughs> like a product guy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can see our. we've got our uh, Aperture lights up here. These are the uh, LightStorm 60X lights with softboxes. So, and then we've got our, we've got this track, which actually is what's carrying our our power to the lights. And we've got another one back here that's just acting as our backlight. And this is our, this is our stretch shapes, a green screen. I just, I don't know what to call it, except beautiful. It's just, it's just so nice the way that, um, the way that it stretched across the frame there, it just, it just pulls out any wrinkles. And as I mentioned before, it's got these, these really low-profile steel stands, so you can put it right up against the wall if you need to.
0: Whoops. Mean- oh, there your audio's back.
8: We've got uh, these um, Amaran, aka Aperture, uh, tube lights here that are hitting the lower half of the screen. The upper half of the screen is pretty well lit by the softboxes, but we needed a little additional lighting down low um, to even things out. So we've got those hooked into hooked into the system.
0: Am and, I correct in that the aperture lights are strong enough so that you can leave the room fluorescence on and it's it, those are overpowering them and still giving you a good picture even when the upper lights are on, or do you have to turn those off as part of the launch sequence?
8: I i really i I designed this to work in conjunction with the existing room lighting makes sense um just because it was another switch i didn't want to have to tell people to turn off or turn on or whatever um i did do some slight modifications to the this lighting we have in here um because i was getting quite a reflection off of the off of the digital light board you can see a little bit of that when i'm right over it it's it's not bad but um I, I actually use a strip of uh, gaff tape to uh, <laughs> to cover the cover the word of protection. Of, uh... <laughs> Love it. So this is uh, this is our desk here. It's a, it's just a motorized uplift desk, uh, which makes it nice. And um, I didn't I didn't point this out, but um, you're able to actually plug your own laptop in here, and then with a with the push of a button. You can change your presentation source and just switch over to um, to your own laptop if there's specific content that you've got on there that you want to show. So that's that's a nice a nice feature to be able to do that. So this is our little control panel right here. You can see uh, see the buttons here. This is is easily um, programmable. Um for different functions, if uh, there's anything that wants that needs to be customized, this is actually just this digital lightboard and this control panel is actually all part of MIMO Live. So um, this is a, this is their uh, painter layer, which, uh, you know, they made some some customizations um, upon my request, which is wonderful. Those guys are so great. And uh, this is actually their uh, their, their remote control um, application here, which is just showing on an iOS device, which is embedded into the system here. So,
0: that's very very cool. We've got about twenty minutes left. I'll let you finish up a couple of things, but then actually we've still got ten questions to get through. So. Uh... Go ahead. And anything else you wanted to to look at on the system? Yeah. Itself?
8: Well, this is the one button, right? It's a one button studio, uh-huh. so we have to have one button. This is what does the trick, right
1: here. <laughs> nice, Jason. So where do you engage uh, warp drive? <laughs> <laughs>
8: yeah, yeah. It's it's that button right there. That's what does it. That launches here, right there. Make it so. Uh, if if you want to look uh, actually under the hood, so we've got um this is uh this is the interior you can actually see the recording light which is not on right now but um this is back here and it lights up red so you can actually see it through the front of the cabinet when the when the uh, recording is happening uh we've got our ultimat here um we're making some good use of uh some sonnet gear in here we've got a rack mac mini holding our presentation mac and our recording mac side by side um, we've got this um, the Sonnet chassis holding an Echo 3 so that we have our, our um, PCI slots. Um, we're running a DeckLink Duo 2 uh, for ins and outs, um, SDI ins and outs. Um, and we've got a, our mixer down here, um, which is bringing our single microphone into the system and USB out into the Mac.
0: And it's keyed to keep little student hands out of
8: (laughs) of doing what students
0: do. Exactly. Nice, nice. Let's get to a couple more questions. We've got, like I said, a few. So, Mitch, what do we got next?
1: Uh, Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana, asks, the One Button Studios are a great turnkey solution for libraries. Have you thought about a portable version?
8: Ooh. So the answer to that would be, Yes, I have thought about a portable version. I actually put together a, a a list of parts that I would need to build a portable version. It was more like a desktop version that you could um, you could more easily move around. So um, it's not something I've actually built at this point. Um, but I guess you could also say um, what our our corporate customer. Uh, Tanner is doing with the trailer is a portable version, but that's probably not what you were thinking.
4: <laughs> Guy, you had a thought about this? Yeah, we've worked with um, uh, Oliver a little bit on a portable version. Uh, and as uh, Jason just said, the um, Tanner Hobbs mobile, where he's putting it in the back of an 18-foot trailer is is one way, but that's pretty, pretty heavy iron. But there was something called the Yellow Box. If you go to the Mimo Live site, uh, he's actually going to be showing it next week in Santa Barbara. That's kind of a portable system that's based on Mimo Live. It's not a One Button Studio, but it's something that's worth taking a look at. And uh, it's still a concept, but he's—he's uh, he's definitely um, Oliver is definitely intrigued about what we're doing because we're one of the, the biggest sellers of his uh, software. So he, we're a huge proponent, and we happen to just move through One Button Studio. So he loves us, and he's done a great job. Um, but he wants to make it a portable version and we'll see uh, where he, uh, what he shows next week at uh, ACM.
0: John Edelson had a comment?
10: Well, I was just gonna say for libraries, it really is great uh, to have them. It's probably one of the best use cases. I call this semi-portable because one of the things is you can actually get the whole system through a standard door, which makes it really easy for libraries to do the installation and um, have it set up quickly. It's not, that's not a, portable like a sewing machine.
0: Have having done a lot of load ins and load outs. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, with the thirty two inch door, that's not good. Do you have a thirty six around anywhere? Sometimes it comes down to just that for getting a lot of equipment in. Uh, next question. So, so oh, oh, go ahead. I, go ahead. I'm
8: going to jump in. Jason. Jump in. We 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 actually installed our first uh, one button studio in a public library just last month in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, uh, so it's kind of fun to see that, that, uh, market open up. Um, and, and really they were all about, uh, what, what they, they called it digital inclusivity that, you know, there, there were, um, they wanted to give anybody that comes into the library access to really high quality, uh, presentation recording, um, equipment. And so that was, that was a pretty cool thing to see.
0: Nice. Next question.
1: From Sharag Cheetah, Dallas, Texas, are c-suite executives adding the one button studio to their org? and how are they using?
0: it? Jason, do you have um, corporate clients who are doing this? I think you mentioned yeah. the one.
4: yeah one of the th- one of the things that we've seen oh. is we had a uh a person that designs studios he wound up buying one for his client i believe it's it's undisclosed client somewhere in silicon valley uh and they are a c-suite uh i'm not sure exactly uh um where they're putting it but we, on his website he showed an image of uh the layout and we're seeing this more and more he wrote a whole article about how c-level execs are saying media room to be determined. So some of them are putting them off to the side of their offices where they can just walk into this professional looking studio uh, and then have, you know, glam lighting, so to speak, where it looks good, sounds good. It's already set up. They don't have to mess around with their webcam. They, they don't have to worry about any settings, but it's basically all done. So we're starting to see those uh, those inquiries and purchases by purchases people, not just at a university, but in, university. in, in the, uh, the C-suite. So very cool stuff. And John Edelson just popped in for a comment.
10: Well, they all should have it. Any organization uh, should have a high-quality studio. So you could see this as an insert studio. You never know when you're going to have to be on CNN or some sort of question. And on a regular daily basis, uh, there are all-hands meetings. There are uh, your investor meetings, uh, year-end reports. So having a high-end studio like this that you could walk in and easily use, I think would be important for not only C-suite people, but any organization should have access to something like this.
0: Seems like it solves a lot of problems. And actually, that reminds me, I was just noticing Cyprian down there. And you said in the beginning that you got interested in this because you you ran across so many things that worked wrong when you tried to do it yourself. Could you talk quickly about a little of that?
9: Yeah, so this might be lost on this audience, but it's incredibly daunting to set up. I mean, even coming onto this, um, there's so many things that I have to keep track of, right? And so I know that when I'm working with students, and uh, we do a thing called the three minute thesis, which is talk about your thesis in three minutes, one slide. The thing that, first of all, nobody does it well right off the front. The more you do it, the, uh, the better you get. And um, you pretty much need no barrier to entry to to get that practice, right? And so something where you go in with one button, just concentrate on the content, don't worry about the lighting or the camera or where to look. Th- th- this type of thing really allows uh, educators and students to take control of what they need to present. Um, I, when when Jason was showing the back backstory of the, uh, of the, um, the hardware, my eyes started to glaze over. I'm sorry, Jason. But uh, really, I just want to make sure that I can get what I need done, done, anyway.
0: Yeah, well I've seen that a lot too. You know, even in things like hosting shows here, yeah. you you don't start to refine your talents until you can do it over and over and those small iterations. So yeah. if you're fighting to get the whole thing launched so that you can do it every time, mm-hmm. you're going to go do it less. And so that seems to me the 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 main pre, the main point of this is to make it easy to get your reps in so that you become a better speaker or better presenter on camera. Let's go to the next question.
1: And it's from John Borntrager asking, are there any ADA compliance considerations? Also,
0: what about multilingual options during the setup process? Oh, I was thinking about that earlier. Is it, are the menus and things like that translatable or have you worked in international stuff?
8: They are certainly translatable. Um, We have, we have sold a few of our systems um, internationally um however they've been in primarily english speaking places um in, in fact it's kind of an interesting story the 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 very first one button studio about four years ago uh, we had put it up on our website but i hadn't even finished it completely it was probably 90 percent done but i thought well let's put it up on the website see if we get any interest and in the middle of the night this school in iceland buys one and and uh i i honestly at that point i had i had all but given up on it i was just kind of burned out in in the process of of building the first version and but that happened and i was like oh uh maybe maybe this is a viable product Uh, i guess i'd better go finish it so so i went in and finished it and we shifted off to iceland so, uh, but to answer your question uh, more directly, uh, that's that's a great question. Yeah, certainly the on-screen menus could be uh, could be easily translated over to, um, to Spanish or whatever they needed to be for a particular customer. We we'd be happy to do that.
0: Fair enough. Next question,
1: Mike Edwards, Brooklyn, New York. Morning, guys. Where would you recommend a one-button studio be put so everyone that needed to use one had access? Guy.
4: Yeah, typically these have gone into um, four-year universities. That's where we've shipped almost all of them to. But last week uh, or two weeks ago, Jason installed one in a public library. And so that just really opened up our eyes as to a couple of things. I mean, it's my wish to have one in every library in the world. I mean, that would be amazing so that everybody can use one no matter where they live. They can just walk in and know that they're going to come away with a file that is um, got you know, good lighting, good uh, good picture, good video, um, and and that the audio is nice and clean. And if they have prepared and rehearsed, because that's that's the thing is, you saw that Jason put in a keynote, but you can do PowerPoint on a on a Chromebook or bring in your own laptop. And Jason, will show here in a second because it's one of the coolest things is uh telestration over the top. Um, yeah, there he goes. If you want to cut over uh, on the back end and show Jason's, but basically, the more that we can get these things into. Um, into the hands of people that that want to create video at a high quality, not just with their phone. I mean, phones have gotten great. They're fantastic, but the ability to have a composite that's clean with an ultimate, I mean, an ultimate was 70 grand a couple of years ago. And now, I mean, y- you can buy one for 995 bucks and the quality of the key. So we're, we're using the SDI version of the keyer and we actually had to have, uh, we asked uh, uh, Mima Live yeah, to guy, implement.
8: Guy, I want to talk about that because it's exciting. So I, as far as I know, it, we're 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 the first ones to do this at this level. We're actually typically you would you would take the ultimate uh, output, which is two SDI signals, key and and fill, right? And you would take that into a mixer, a hardware mixer like an ATM, and you would do the compositing there. Well, um, so well that's that's my lights shutting off automatically because I'm not recording. So let me let me turn those back on. So, we worked with, um, with Boinks, um, who worked with Blackmagic directly. And uh, so, we have, we have integrated the Ultimat directly into Mimo Live. So, we're feeding that key and fill signal directly into Mimo Live um, and doing all of our compositing inside of uh, their software. So, that's, that was a, a pretty exciting um, advance for us. No wonder your
0: keys look so good and still do. Next question.
8: Next question in from Mark
1: Homer in Snowmomish, Washington, asking, in prior versions of One Button Studio, were you actually able to use a teleprompter with the Reflect Media ring light?
0: Did cause any issues, Guy?
4: Uh, we didn't use a teleprompter when we had uh, the Reflect Media system because of the way that the uh, eyes, um, basically you can't put a Ring light behind the glass because it'll disperse all it behind all of it glass, so you would have to put a monitor below and it was something to where the eye line just didn't seem quite right and the reflect media we were putting, after staring a, we were at putting it.
8: a monitor above essentially we were yeah we were putting a a a big monitor on the wall above it um so that's one of the reasons moving away from reflect media um was a good move we feel because we were able to, um, then use a, a true teleprompter, um, through the glass. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy with what we've done.
1: Next question from Jonas Dottel in Stuttgart, Germany. How can pro users expand this for their use?
0: Is there a version that has more controls for that kind of user?
8: Well, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of controls under the hood that are certainly accessible for, for pro users as, as Guy talked about a little bit before. Um, you could, you could use any kind of, um, remote access software to get into the system and tweak camera settings, tweak the lighting. Um, I, I I use any disk to do remote, uh, support sessions for our customers. Um, but I could, I could certainly do, um, you know anything while I was in there, um, so th- there's a lot of power that's already built into the system. It's just a matter of how you want to use it, and um, it's there, ready to be used. Fair enough.
0: Let's go to the next question,
1: and we have one in from Frank Haney in Ottawa. How portable can this be?
0: I think we discussed that a little bit before. Uh, do either of you want to say how um, where you imagine? portability going for this system
8: yeah this this particular system is i would say kind of a semi permanent uh installation um you are mounting things to the ceiling and you're hanging lights uh, you're you're mounting acoustical panels to the walls um so as such it's not really meant to just move from room to room um quickly um but perfectly recreate that you need a lot of stands and boom arms and things
0: like that. That would be an interesting, but slightly more complex build, I would imagine.
8: Yeah, Next. and we wanted to eliminate as much of that as possible just because uh, things for people to trip over and, um, you know, we don't want cords on the floor and 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 things like that in, in, in this kind of a scenario if we can help it. So, again. Um, for something more portable, I, yeah, I do have a concept for a, a desktop version, um, which again at this point has not been built, but it's definitely percolating in my brain. So,
4: I'm, I'm going to jump in here just because I know that we're about ready to wrap up. It one of the coolest things about this whole thing is the uh, telestration. Did Jason, you want to? We only got three minutes. You want to show the digital lightboard option that you've uh, created?
3: Yeah, I've done. Uh, how does he maintain? I can play possession all the way through not allow that ball to hit the ground.
8: So I'll just, I'll just pause it here. And uh, just as a, um, an FYI, I really know nothing about football, but um, (laughs) just to give you an idea of of what you can do with this, you know, it's, it's easy to just go in and pick different colors and decide what you want to highlight. We've got, uh, actually, an arrow mode, which makes it easy to point out specific things in a bold way.
0: Anyway. I like that. It's it's actually got a blitz. fluid. First, first time I've ever seen a blitzing defensive back. That was excellent. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Well done. So, Telestration is possible. It's built in. Is that one of the add-on modules, or is that kind of
8: stock? Yeah, this is what we call the the digital light board. A lot of our education customers uh, were... We're fond of the what I refer to as the analog light board, which I'm sure you guys have seen. It's a big piece of glass. It's edge lit. You use the fluorescent markers. The camera is shooting right through it. Um, the compl- complaints we heard about that is that it's just it's a pain to clean, and you really have to clean it well. Otherwise, uh, the camera picks it up, and then you're limited as far as the backgrounds uh, that you can use in that scenario as well. Um, this this eliminates all those issues, and of course, is super easy to clean. You just click, and everything disappears.
0: Okay. So. Now, the big the big question here at the end of the presentation: uh, if they need more information and want to talk costs and things like that, where do they go? Who do they talk to? How do they get one of these if they want it?
8: Take it away, guy.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when. Uh, <laughs> Oh man, the, the the One Button Studio website is uh, One Button Studio uh, dot biz or actually dot info. Sorry, uh, that's probably the best place. Follow Jason Jenkins though, on LinkedIn. He puts up some amazing posts, so I would say that that's the best way. And We'll put that in the chat. Uh, that those are the two resources I would say. Yeah, best. definitely.
8: If you, I, I like to post um, installs that I'm doing and uh, things that customers are doing with the system. So yeah, if you want to follow me on LinkedIn, that's that's great.
0: Excellent. Guy, Jason, everybody from the One Button Studio, thank you. Great to see Cyprian and John here in the panel. Uh, Don't forget, a couple of things coming up uh, very, very quickly here. Uh, If there are team opportunities, if you want to be a panelist and think you're ready, uh, there's a link in the Office Hours Makana about joining that. Uh, Also, the production team, but don't forget our uh, NAB production team for April 17th, 18th, and 19th. The sign-up sheet is up there. Uh, Isadora Lab with Elwes and Sparrows right after this, Uh, the panel. There's a panelist meeting, Accessibility Lab at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, Saturday, How to Make Video for Your Classroom is still listed here. I'm not sure if that's the accurate title. But anyway, thank you all for being here. Thank you to the panelists, without which we cannot do this show. Thank you for all of the people who are watching, our producers. We appreciate your questions. And definitely thank you to all the back-end crew who do make this show possible every day. We're going to run the credits right now. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks for watching.
1: Engage
0: whoop drive. Great job, guys! I learned a lot. I didn't know that much about the system beforehand, so well done.
8: Thanks, Bill. Uh-huh. Looks cool. you are supposed to whisper at this point of the show. Oh, that's right! Oh, I forgot. Looks cool. I forgot.
0: A quiet a, time. One button whisper time.
1: The illustration is awesome.
0: And I think we're off to a panelist meeting right now. So bye, everybody. Thank you for participating.